On today's show, I'm going to be talking with Kayleen and Lauren from Gold Thread. They've got a single and video called Tiffany Skylight. It was filmed in a really beautiful location in Chicago. I want to talk about that. I want to talk about their music and the journey they took to bring out their new EP, Dear Icarus, and some of the meaning behind the lyrics and some really captivating songs. So welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. Hey, you bet. There's so much to talk about, but I first have to uh, talk about Ohio. Um, are you guys in in Akron or Cleveland? Where are you guys based? Yeah, kind of uh, just north of Akron, um, about 15 minutes north of Akron, and I think like a half hour south of Cleveland. Okay, because automatically I think of you know Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And, yeah, you know, just, what a cool kind of rocking part of the country you're in. Although um, I don't know if you guys uh, keep track of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame nominations, but do you think that um, there's enough women represented in this year's uh, nominations? Oh, man. I don't know if I looked specifically at this year, but I know that women are constantly... Uh, we we got to start bolstering the ranks a little bit. You know, uh, women are underrepresented, and we'd love to see more of that. So I did see Dolly Parton decline her nomination. And I was like, Dolly Parton's pretty classy. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that's the only thing that I kind of saw too that made um, the headlines that I kind of scrolled through was Dolly Parton. Mm. Well, well, we got the Go Go's in, but I, I can't believe Pat Benatar hasn't been inducted yet. She's uh, she's yeah. a legend for sure. Yeah. Well, keep our fingers crossed. So uh, this whole um, EP. Uh, Dear Icarus, um, I've been listening to it a lot. Uh, you guys have a really cool Spotify channel. You know, obviously, you. the yeah, uh, the latest single, Tiffany Skylight, but you've got a lot of other stuff. And, you know, I just remember back in the pre-Spotify days before people just put out individual tracks, we got full albums with a theme and all the songs meshed together. And, you know, you're telling an overall message and it seemed like on Dear Icarus, that's what you guys were aiming for. Like, you know, the sum of the parts, you know, are, are bigger than the whole. I hope I said that right. Yeah, but it just no, seems, yeah, that's... yeah, like this cumulative experience. And it's so I encourage people to, you know, to listen to the whole playlist in order. And I'm just curious, you know, what was the inspiration for this? Yeah, that EP was something that we always kind of wanted to have that theme too, you know, we knew that we didn't really want to release things as singles and we knew that we wanted a couple of those interlude tracks to really tell the story and, and how it all came together. And we were just really drawn to this idea of death and rebirth and that cycle of hitting rock bottom and then clawing your way out. And we knew that that couldn't be told just with one of the songs and they all fit that theme in their own unique ways. And I think honestly the last piece of it where we were like okay yeah this has to be some sort of concept album was um there's like a little small i think it's just like 30 seconds of an interlude track called we can almost see the sun and it was just the final piece of the icarus concept that was locked in and we were like yeah that's it we're good <laughs> well to me when i think of icarus i think of you know frustration you know because you know icarus you know, had the, the wings made, I think, with wax that melted when he got too close to the sun. Mm -hmm. And is that a metaphor of almost like, you know, don't 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 be too daring. Don't get too close to the source. And I, I think it always like gave out mixed signals. It's kind of like, well, shouldn't we reward daring people? Right. It's so it's a, such a layered, multifaceted thing. And I think that's what we were drawn to because there's I mean, it's it's a, a classic for a reason. Like it survived because it, it is known for, you know, being a tale of hubris and pride and feeling like you can outwit your circumstances. So um, I think the angle that we tried to take it as was more of that full, complete like, OK, so you fell. Now what? So we we took the idea and, and tried to extend it a little bit further and, and kind of make a full circle out of it. Um, so but that's what I love about that myth is that you can kind of grab anything from it and kind of make it your own and make it your interpretation. So 
yeah, that's awesome that you were, you can pull all sorts of different things out of it. Mm -hmm. Well, on Tiffany's skylight, which, you know, you're highlighting now in this new video, um, I was reading in an interview with you guys and you were talking about this was based on a true story, which I think is interesting because even though a lot of artists are influenced by real life, you don't hear very often, you know, basing a song off of, you know, a, a full true story. And I just wondered what's the approach like when you're doing that as opposed to just a lot of other influences? Yeah, that that track honestly was the most fun i guess i don't, I don't know if yeah. fun is the right word when you're talking about murder like that's not i i don't know it was kind of the most fun to write from a, a songwriting perspective because every lyric that we wrote had to not only fall in the guidelines of you know something related to that story and and everything that happened but we also wanted it to take on this edge of you can interpret it as a love song if you wanted to. If you didn't know that it was about something so horrible, you can sit there and listen to that song and think it's a love song. So I think the hardest part of writing that song was making sure that the lyrics flowed and made sense under both of those lenses. And that was the most interesting part of writing that song. Mm -hmm. And I think the the whole irony of it, you know, is the story of this guy who uh, was in dire straits and needed money and probably his whole self-image was wrapped up in his wealth, which caused him to do, you know, some unspeakable things. But the irony was um, if he had just looked up and saw the beautiful Tiffany skylight in his house, he could have sold that and paid off his debts. And, mm -hmm. and I think that works on so many different levels. One, other than, you know, the being able to pay off his debts part, just the whole fact that somebody is so wrapped up in their wealth, their outward appearances, that that's enough to drive them to violence. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's wild what happened with that that tragedy. But we also wanted to, yeah, kind of, create this this almost like desperate love song so when we were crafting the lyrics i almost took the position of the wife in that scenario in that story and scenario and kind of like tried to make it sound like no, no no we can keep this going we you know we can do this like yeah let's like keep our appearances up we got it we got it and like it, there's this darkness underneath it that we're we tried to like almost cover up and plaster over with the lyrics so mm -hmm. like i I've had the most fun writing that song. Yeah. So, so we, we live in such a culture now where like true crime is a big art form. I mean, you go to Netflix and, you know, half the top 10 shows sometimes feel like true crime. And I, I wouldn't say we're desensitized to it, but it's such a part of our culture now. And, you know, it's, it's kind of cool that you like, you know, got something a little more historical you know uh i think in the whole true crime thing i've never heard of anything quite like this and and even though it's a tragic thing it's it's still kind of interesting and i'm just you know wonder why are we so fascinated with with true crime and crimes of passion yeah it's a very human story i think and i i think as long as people have been around, there have been looky-loos and like people just want to know what's going on and curiosity of how other people are living their lives and stuff. I, I love that true crime is like having this weird renaissance moment. It's sweet. Like there's all sorts of things that we can kind of openly talk about now that maybe would have been swept under the rug before. And I feel like that that kind of burying over problems is what kind of kicked off everything for our like the story of Tiffany Skylight in the first place is this man just wanted to make it work and he couldn't. Mm -hmm. So I think there's been this almost like a Band-Aid coming off. Like we can all almost talk about things a little bit more freely now. And I, I appreciate that just as a person and as somebody consuming media, I think that that's a more fascinating story than I don't know, just like stupid rom-coms or, you know, it's it's just a more interesting thing to think about. So Yeah, and I think people are very fascinated with the psychology of, of it too. And having all that insight and so many more documentaries nowadays and 
and being able to have insight into how people are thinking that are able to commit those types of crimes. I, I think it's interesting in a very terrible way, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Well, I think even if we aren't in, you know, their exact situation, I think most of us can relate on a certain level of if we've ever felt that our lives are so desperate, like there's one element that we think we just can't overcome. And a lot of people, you know, they don't see past, you know, the first, you know, 24 hours, they think I'll never get over this. This is either so shameful or so impossible. You know, someone's lost their job or, you know, there's a really bad breakup and they think I just can't get over this. It seems to tap into that feeling that we can all have regardless of the individual circumstances. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I guess the big question is, besides, you know, seeing this story from afar, I mean, how did this relate to both of you personally? I mean, have you ever had something happen that was really hard to think, wow, you know, I'm never going to get over this? Of course. I mean, I, I think that's a, a really human thing. I think, especially with the pandemic, I think we've all really learned that life has a way of of traumatizing all of us in some way or another and it's just about uh learning to cope and learning to deal and i think um being able to talk about stuff in in a capacity like that instead of you know covering it up and plastering on a smiley face is uh something that we as people find really important instead of like that toxic positivity of like oh no everything's great you know like no, sometimes it sucks. <laughs> and <laughs> I like being able to be honest about that kind of stuff. So um, yeah, I definitely relate to the the feeling of, of being desperate and feeling like you, you're not finding a way out of stuff. Um, so on that level, it was easy to connect with. But it was also really nice to write about somebody that wasn't me for a second too. you know, kind of step out of that box. And, and really put yourself in somebody else's shoes. So I think that was a really unique writing experience because we relate, but also we really, really don't. You know, it's, it was an interesting balance. Yeah, on a conceptual level, I think everyone can kind of relate to that, like the extreme lows and, mm -hmm. and feeling like you got to claw your way back up and you got to try to, and you're just thinking like, there's, there's no way I can do this. And then trying to put that through this filter of, the extreme of that of like i can't get out so i'm going to do this you know and putting it through that filter of of that extreme i think it kind of puts it in perspective of how everything can be relative and, and your problems are you know it it's just kind of it was a wild song to write it was weird yeah <laughs> mm -hmm. well I know you uh, were in another band before this called Keys and Corridors. Mm -hmm. And and obviously anyone who's ever been in a band has probably been in three or four or you know, more. Yeah. You know, to, to be in a band is to evolve. And I think, you know, the first five or 10 years of your, you know, musical band life, it's usually finding what style, you know, am I drawn to? You know, what musicians am I drawn to? What collaborators? So I'm just curious, you know, how has that experience been for you? Because I know a lot of times, like we're in a band and it doesn't quite fit. And for the moment, we think, oh, this is so frustrating. But we needed that growing pain to help us to move on to something that would ultimately be a better fit. Yeah, honestly, everything that you just said, spot on. You know, when we yeah. when we started our first band, we were just excited to play music and play music live and all the venues that we would go watch shows at, we had opportunities to play them. And it was just excitement about being in our first band and our first, or at least for me, I know you were in a band before. Um, it was just kind of this youthful excitement, I guess. <laughs> and and then when a we- beautiful naivety, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then when we were actually sitting there talking about oh, we want to bring this to the next level. You know, we want to be in, more intentional with our writing. We want to be more intentional with shows and touring. And we want to start taking this a little bit more seriously. And that's where things, that's where friction kind of started 
And after a while, we kind of settled on the sound that we wanted. And we realized that it was really different from what we've been doing. And the songs that we were writing were better than what we had been writing before. And also had their own unique flair that just didn't really feel like it fit the Keys and Corridors name anymore. And that's kind of when we were like, you know, I think it's time to kind of step out of the shadow of what we've done when we were young and just like excited and didn't really have any direction and turn that into gold thread. Mm -hmm. Well, I like uh, your term for your genre. Um, you call it genre fluid. And I think for most uh, artists, it really is hard to just be, you know, nailed down to a single genre, but you also cited, you know, alternative rock slash dark pop. I also de detect almost like a dream pop to it. There's a dreaminess to it. Yeah. But um, what's what's nice about this genre? Like, I think a song like Tiffany Skylight is best in this kind of genre, an alt-rock, dark pop, where, say, if you just wrote this as a traditional, you know, pop rock song, I don't think it would have the same effect. Yeah. I was really happy with the way, like, the almost the synths kind of blanketed out that song and created like this whole almost spooky creepy vibe yeah. to it yeah i like that we were able to to find a, a niche that allows for that kind of room and allows for uh you know guitars too that can wail a little bit so because that's that's what i like so that's yeah, <laughs> that's, yeah. well in another one of your interviews um I can't remember which one it was uh, of you guys talking, but um, I think it was something to the effect of, you know, enjoying being in the studio, trying out different sounds. Um, what was it? I think you were talking about one band or, or you had heard something about a band and they would like, you know, take the guitar line and slowed it down to create this almost weird, oh, yeah, disoriented yeah. sound. What, what was that uh, quote I was thinking of? I I think it was I I listened to this podcast where they sit down with a producer in a band and nothing but thieves was the band I think and when they were recording one of their riffs they recorded it sped up and then the producer slowed it down and it it makes those all the guitar tones kind of shift and and spread out a little bit and it just creates like this weird blanket of sound and the tone I, it, after i heard that i realized like oh that's why the tone in that song just doesn't sound quite right but in a in a really cool experimental way where it, it almost hits harder mm -hmm. and it doesn't make any sense because it's slowed down it's almost like they're disarming the listener and I'm wondering, do you, do you like that? Like when you think of something, you know, dark pop or dreamy, you know, bordering into not quite nightmare, but, you know, taking your listener to this world that could only be created within your music. I like that. That's super interesting. It's almost like surreal. Like, 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 I don't know that that description just reminded me of like a dolly painting where it's like it's it's a thing that you recognize, but it's not quite right. And I yeah. I, I think disarming the listener is a really good way to think about it because it's like a sound that you weren't prepped to hear. Like it's not a trope. So yeah. I love thinking about things in that kind of unique way. Mm -hmm. Well, I know in sci fi and fantasy writing, they talk about world building. Do, do you find that you're you know, building worlds or like in, you know, Dear Icarus, you're building this kind of alternative reality. That's a good way to think about it. Yeah, I think you try to craft like a songscape, you know, it's, mm -hmm. it's about transporting people into the world of that song and whatever you need to do production wise to make sure that the lyrics are being carried and that the song is being carried. And I think most of the time for us, we just lean into that kind of creepy, unsettling feeling because that's how a lot of our songs feel when we write them is they just, they don't feel like closure. Mm -hmm. Well, tell me your thoughts on this because you guys create a lot of atmosphere and you know, you're upfront with dark pop and just moodiness, which is 
kind of fun because I think the irony of it is sometimes it's just really fun to wallow in in this kind of darkness where maybe in a way it's our way to exercise our depression or to kind of travel through it and move through it, but in, in this kind of safe, controlled way. But it seems like um, there's been a lot of bad rap for like, you know, everyone wants to just group everything into goth or emo, yeah. you know, and those had their moments and they still live on. But do you think people are just too quick to always label everything and to stereotype everything? You know, what's interesting is I feel like people aren't necessarily quick to do that. I think the industry is quick to do that. Yeah. Um, I think listeners have a lot. I don't think they have as strict of a set of lines and boundaries about what a song is and where it should go. I think the industry pushes that on people and pushes that on everyone because that's what they need to know how to push bands and market bands and, and make money from bands. I don't think listeners necessarily have that same structure. Because mm -hmm. I think, especially as you get older, it's so easy for, you know, uh, parents especially, you know, they always judge what their kids are listening to. You know, that that's, that's classic. doesn't matter what genre. But there's always like this whole thing of, oh, my... My kid's listening to all this moody music. It's going to depress them, you know, as opposed to, you know, they're learning new things. They're expressing things. And maybe, you know, sometimes it's easier to express that through music and feel some kind of association, you know, with those bands as opposed to bringing it up, you know, at the dinner table with their parents. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely music has a way of letting us feel. And I think that's one of the most important things I take as a songwriter is like, this is four minutes where I'm just going to tell you how I feel. And sometimes that's not all the way processed. Sometimes the song itself is the cathartic thing that I, I just need to release something. And we, we don't try to shy away from that. I think uh, as people and as songwriters, we like, taking something and being honest with it and taking it and telling a, a whole story, even the parts that aren't flattering. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, I just really love that kind of authenticity out of the bands that I listen to. So I try to do that as well. So um, if people take a moment and they're like, Hey, this song is kind of sad, but it, rem it like, it's a connecting point. Like someone has felt the way that I feel. I'm like, yeah, yeah, you're not alone. That's the point. So mm -hmm. that's that's what I love the most, I think. And sometimes it's just really nice to not, like you were saying, have this forced happiness all the time. Because mm -hmm. in, in real life, we have to put on an optimistic face whether or not we feel like it. Yeah, exactly. That That being said, do you think the scales can tip too far in one dire in direction. Like, at what point do you um, just want to hear something happy? Do you ever get to a point where it's like, this is good stuff, but I want to write a happy song today? <laughs> um, I don't know. I think that's kind of a hard question because I think so much of where you write from is based on kind of where you are. And... I, you know, I, I have had people kind of say whether it's, you know, a producer or when we're doing a music video or whatever, you know, everyone kind of will subtly be like, oh, well, like, don't you want the song to kind of like come full circle and have like a happy ending? A resolution? Yeah, like everybody, everybody wants a resolution. And, you know, we've kind of had to be like, no, <laughs> because I think the songs are so in indicative of where you are at a certain point. And if there wasn't a resolution at that point and that's where you wrote it from, then why would you just try to, you know, slap some happy ending on something when it doesn't go there yet? And it feels like that chapter's not written. Yeah. And I, I do think that we can have a tendency to go a little maybe too dark <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> And, but I think overall it comes full circle and there's balance and there's lessons in it that 
so it doesn't bother me as much. Mm-hmm. I will say, I think just as a little, little, little hint, little teaser, we've been kind of playing with the idea of imbalance as like almost like a next record cycle as far as like, like how do you even those scales out a little bit? So um, that is something that we've been thinking about and uh, hopefully we'll have a, a musical answer for you. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty soon. <laughs> like that's, but yeah, that honestly has been on our mind as, as writers and what do you do with uh, leaving people in tension? So mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Well, with your fans, they've come to expect a certain style. Is it hard to deviate from that? Like if you're just doing, you know, yeah, this thread, a gold thread, <laughs> I would say, of a, of a certain, it. you know, alt-rock, dark pop, you know, this dreamy atmospheric sound, not afraid to explore, you know, the darker side of the psyche. If you tried something suddenly bright or, heaven forbid, you know, an EDM, you know, dance pop kind mm. of thing, would they just freak out or would they go on your journey and allow you to expand your sound? That's an interesting question. I'm I'm honestly not sure. I don't think that we've really explored anything kind of so outside the box. And I think kind of labeling ourselves as genre fluid and not really having like this really specific locked in sound. I think it kind of gives us some room to play, but I don't know if we, if we came out with an EDM Bob, I feel like people might be like, what are you guys doing? <laughs> hey guys, what's the, yeah. I think it'd be fun. Well, <laughs> well, for like your own personal listening pleasure, when you just want to escape a little and have fun, what would be like the most surprising music that you both listen to? I love pop music. I truly do. Like Ariana Grande was one of my top Spotify raft artists <laughs> right next to Bring Me the Horizon. So I think people would be surprised by how much R&B and like, yeah, music like that that I listen to. I, I love pop music. I think it's catchy. I think if you can find like a, a good, like authentic way to have a pop song, I'm, I'm there for that moment. So I don't know, friend, you like really uh, like pondery, like slow shoot. Yeah, I don't know. My music I think people are surprised by that. Yeah, it, my music taste is just, it's all over the place. <laughs> like it can be anything from, yeah, like really slow music, like really post-rock, like there aren't even any lyrics or vocals on it. Anything from that to, um, yeah, like any anything from that to pop or, or rock or grunge, like it's, I, I pretty much can listen to any song that's not country or rap, I think. <laughs> like those are like the only two things where I'm like, ah, no, I can't really connect with this. Okay, well, I'll, I'll ignore that country part. I'm sorry. <laughs> I like good country. I like Dolly Parton truly is so talented. So but. she is. Well, here's one thing, uh, whether or not you're a country fan, people always love classic Patsy Cline. I could get down. Yeah. You got to love Patsy. Okay. <laughs> you're off the hook <laughs> if you like Patsy. Thank you. But, so, no, we promised we'd talk a little more about Tiffany Skylight and the making of the video. So this big, you know, colored glass skylight, such an, you know, uh, a symbolic part of the song. You had to travel out of state just to find a venue that had an amazing skylight. Yeah, it, it kind of was surreal. You know, there's no other word for it. I, we knew that. I knew that I kind of wanted to film under a skylight and she was like, Lauren was like, there's no way that you're going to find a skylight. And then (laughs) it was just kind of like a big idea that she was like, okay, sure. And when I found the place in Chicago that actually had the world's largest Tiffany skylight, I kind of thought it was a long shot. Um, And then I reached out to them and they were like, sure. Yeah, you guys can do it. 
And I was like, pack up the van. We're going. I don't care. Like, <laughs> we got to do wow. it. Or they changed their minds. Like, we we just, we have to. So it it was really just kind of a serendipitous thing where I just, everything lined up and the pieces fit. And I don't know what happened and what God was on our side to, to be able it to work. Yeah. <laughs> It was crazy. Mm-hmm. So was this a commercial building or was it a private home or where, where was this? Um, it was at the Chicago Cultural Center. So the building is actually open to the public. You know, if any if any of the listeners are out in Chicago and you haven't seen it, 100%, I would recommend going there. You 100%. can stand, if you stand under the skylight and look up, it it will fill your whole field of vision. Like you, we couldn't even take a picture of the full thing because it, it was crazy. Huge. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I like what you said. Once you got permission, you just wanted to speed over there before they changed their mind. Yeah. So I know when you're like doing stuff like that, you know, you're just going, oh, if they back up, my heart will drop because this yes. is so perfect. And uh, <laughs> so uh, how did you get like the dancers and all that? Like you had a lot of complexity. There was like many levels going on with the video. Yeah, it was a lot of logistics to coordinate for sure. Um, we had the film crew was based in Chicago and the dancers were based in Chicago. So we actually hadn't even met them until we showed up on set. Um, and then our director for the video actually flew in from Canada. So it was a lot of moving pieces and making sure that things went right. And I think the universe just had plans for that video because somehow it just, it all came together. Like in eight hours too, a very, very tight. Yeah. It was like a one day shoot where we had a, a strict out time and somehow we got everything that we needed and it just, it turned out awesome. Wow. No, that is a tight schedule. Like, was this the first concept music video you've done? Um, we had done the legacy video we actually filmed before that. Mm-hmm. And that one was also a a big headache of logistics because in we, a super different way though. Like they yes, were both very different way. projects. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So the legacy music video we actually flew out to LA for. We worked with somebody that does a lot of underwater photography. And we built out this whole living room set. Um, and then we pushed it into his pool and we sank it. (laughs) (laughs) So that was a lot of planning and a lot of more so on, honestly, the videographer's part, you know, because he does that all the time. So he was the one building out the set. And then we just got all of the, we made a a bunch of picture frames. I, I think I went to 10 or 15, like thrift shops, Goodwills, that kind of thing to find as many gold picture frames as I could find. Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. Well, as songwriters, what's it like when you're collaborating with a director and you want to, you know, create a concept for a video, bring it to life visually, but there's that danger of, well, we don't want to take it totally literally with the lyrics, but at the same time, we don't want to go so far away from that initial concept. Like, how do you let go of your literal story in in your song and allow a director to bring their vision into it? I think it was the first time we ever worked with a director was for Tiffany Skylight because every other time it's kind of just been us, you know, coming up with the idea and brainstorming and then telling the videographer what we wanted essentially. So we Mm -hmm. were the ones kind of building the video treatments for everything prior to Tiffany Skylight. So, um, Getting to work with Mercedes uh, was really amazing because she's a super talented uh, visual artist more than anything. Like I, she just has like this very specific aesthetic that she is really good at like finding and implementing. So that was really cool to work with because I'm not strong in that suit at all. Um, and I think and she, it, she understood the story very well too and knew yeah. exactly what feelings and emotions we wanted to convey and that helped. Yeah, mm-hmm. she knows us as people really well, too. So I feel like we were able to come to a really good creative collaboration. And I I love that you can kind of see her little touches in it and 
like it just it felt really collaborative like i i wouldn't i would do another video with her in a heartbeat so mm -hmm. well when you're so close to a song you know writing it producing it in the studio and then an outside person sees it from a totally different point of view like what what did she see in the song that you both really didn't see because you were so close to it that's really interesting because she was around when we were recording it like we it was at her house so we were working with uh her twin to record it but um like she was in the house and kind of flittering in and out and getting us coffee and donuts and stuff um so she was kind of part of the collaboration from day one in a way um mm -hmm. so it didn't it didn't feel so much like sometimes it feels like this is my baby please be careful with my baby like but with her it was like have fun like we trust you we got it so uh yeah i don't know it it didn't feel so nerve-wracking i don't think i know how it, it i know that feeling of like when you're in a studio and things aren't like coming together the way you want it to or it just feels like the direction has is changing on you and you can't like backpedal enough um but I always felt like we were in great hands. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, does that ever happen to you when you hear a song you really like and in your mind you have this mini movie playing, you kind oh, of yeah. create your own video, <laughs> then the band puts out the official video and it's just totally different than what you've imagined. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> I hate that feeling. So I try to, whenever I'm coming up with a music video idea, I try to make it as as perfect a concept as I can, because I'm like, I don't want anybody to live with that <laughs> that kind of regret. So it, I take it pretty seriously, so. Mm -hmm. And I think there's like two kinds of videos, one where it's just the band, and then there's ones where, actually there's three kinds, there's with the band only, then with like actors only, and you don't even see the band, and then ones where they combine actors with the band. And I always think it's 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 very trusting when a band allows, you know, actors or in your case, dancers to take center stage for, you know, some or all of the video. What's it like to kind of give that part away in the video? I think there are some things that, you know, I'm not a good actor at all. And there are some there are some pieces of songs where you're like, I just, you need the emotion to come through in the right way. Like I'm not, I'm not a dancer. So we hired dancers because I knew yeah. no way. And for me, I would rather do the song justice. And if that means kind of stepping out of a music video and letting the right people convey the right emotion, I'm totally fine with that. Um, I think it just kind of depends on the song and the concept and and what you're trying to convey to the audience and making sure that you're doing that justice. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm so glad you resisted the urge at the end to like have them pull the masks away and it turns out, oh, it's you guys. Surprise, we were dancing <laughs> the whole time. <laughs> that would have been really funny if we did that. I'm glad we didn't. Like, yeah, that would have been so cheesy. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. Sometimes it's fun to watch the outtakes. Did you have any funny outtakes? Oh man, um, I think Tiffany's... it was really. Go ahead, sorry. No, for the Tiffany Skylight video, um, I'm sure that there were a bunch of outtakes where people, where we were filming for the band performance shots, was still like half open to the public. So every once That's in a while, what I was going to say, yeah. yeah. Every once in a while, people would find their way onto the elevators, and all of a sudden, you would just see people like walking in the background of a shot. And Mercedes just be like, cut. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, you can't stop people from from walking up to this like one area. And so there, I know for a fact that there are a couple takes. So there's just probably some confused tourists with like holding her purse, like, what's going on up here? Like, just casually in the background of our shot. <laughs> well, plus, like, it was just the same minute and a half of the song just looping over and over again, yeah. really, really loudly. So people were like, what's, what's going, going on? <laughs> Like popping out like gophers out of the elevator. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, as much as I'm sure you love your song, 
spending eight hours hearing it just looped over and over and over again. Oh, you get again. so sick of it, yeah. <laughs> so at a certain point, was there ever a saturation point where we just looked at each other and go, oh, do we have to hear that again? <laughs> there's definitely, there's always a point with that. It usually yeah. happens in the studio, though, when you're, you're on your, like, 20th take of a part that you just can't get, and you're like, I hate this song right now, <laughs> like... So mm -hmm. I, I think I hit that saturation moment way earlier. <laughs> so yeah. it, it didn't phase me so much. Right. It was probably your editor as they're, you know, for, you know, the 10th hour in hearing it yeah. over and over. I think it's it's in the video editing studio. They're going, I love this song, but if I have to listen to this one more time. Yes. Yeah, poor Mercedes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> She's heard that song a lot. Well, we're going to go into our, our final uh, stretch here in a moment. But before we do, I uh, want to make sure people know where to find you. And, you know, you've got a great Spotify channel, but um, uh, do you have a website? Do you have a place people can see the videos? Uh, where's the best place to go? Yeah. Um, so all of our social media handles are at Gold Thread Band. And uh, we try to post on, you know, Facebook, Instagram, all that kind of stuff. And then our music videos are on YouTube. Um, so all sorts of places like that. If there's Apple Music, Spotify, if there's a place that you like to listen to music or watch music videos and we're not there, just hit us up and let us know and we'll add it. Mm -hmm. So the name Gold Thread, very intriguing. You know, I think of like your album, Dear Icarus, you know, I already think of the mythology. Is Gold Thread inspired by mythology or, or some fantasy novel or, you know, where did that come from? So uh, there's this Japanese art form called Kintsugi where uh, it's pottery that breaks and you repair it with gold. So you literally go into the cracks and you paint on value. So you paint gold on and you literally use that to fuse those pieces together. And it's, supposed to symbolize um you're more beautiful and more valuable for having been broken and healed um so as a concept we love that as as humans you know like we can go into broken places and 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 infuse value and and make meaning where maybe there wasn't um so that's that's just something as a person that i i adore so we decided to um you know, kind of unify our branding around that. And that's, again, something that we try to, you know, come from a storytelling perspective about as well as uh, going into those places and trying to create some meaning. So that's that's what the name represents. Mm -hmm. now, I'm familiar with that, you know, and, and it is something where take something broken and make it beautiful. Mm -hmm. It's a very nice metaphor, see? Although I'm a little disappointed. I thought you were going to say something like, you know, it's based on Rumpelstiltskin or... <laughs> oh, man, I hadn't even thought about that, but we could. Isn't that the one where uh, they have to, like, they've got the little spinning wheel and they're spinning straw into oh, gold or yeah, something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, man. I'm going to have to look into that and, and re <laughs> recraft it. We got to <laughs> our story. <laughs> Although if you ever evolve, you can just call the band Rumpelstiltskin. I'm down. Yeah. <laughs> but isn't that half the fun of doing a band is coming up with a name? Yeah, I love it. It's so good. It's It was really stressful doing it seriously because we were like, okay, we got to like actually sit down and like create something that checks all of the boxes that we were down. But it was like a couple months debate of just tossing around dumb like band names back and forth. Yeah. So, uh, when you do that and you Google them to see if they're taken, they're always taken. It's like every single name is taken. Mm -hmm. I think Gold Thread is technically an Asian yogurt company, <laughs> but it's not on Spotify. Not so a band. We're the, we're, yeah, no. we're the only band. <laughs> see, as long as it's in a different industry, I think you're Yeah, safe. exactly. Now, tell me uh, at least one or two names you thought of and then you that oh what were we thinking oh man um we kind of started a half joking lo-fi project called house mitten because my hands are always cold so she was like you need house mittens to wear and we were like house mitten and that just became like, like a weird. great like european yeah like euro edm trancy project 
<laughs> so, oh god, that's uh, that sounds like a, a Swedish EDM band. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, Housemitten. <laughs> so that See, I, I think like that's that. the the best one. Yeah. <laughs> But, you know, if you want to do a site EDM project but not confuse your fans, you do it under the name Hand Mittens. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Your your side project where you do, like, bubblegum pop meets EDM. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's where all, all of the happiness can channel into. It'll be great. Mm -hmm. So why is this... <laughs> Well, why is it so fun to talk about people's guilty pleasures? Besides, <laughs> It's the best. It's the best. So uh, how about just like TV and movies? What are your guilty pleasure shows? Oh, we've been on Love is Blind for... I think we just finally finished it. And it was so bad. It was a car wreck I couldn't look away from. It was so good. We're, oh, we is, like is that a reality show? Yeah, yeah, it's a terrible reality. It's a Netflix show. I don't recommend yeah. it. I don't recommend it to anyone. You should not watch it. We got it. hooked though. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like a we, dating one where they don't see what the other person looks like. Yeah. We, and everyone we got is really just, invested. Everyone is so dysfunctional. It's, uh, has there ever this. been a good reality dating show? Isn't just the nature of dating shows they're gonna be horrible? Yes. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> What's that really popular one that's so bad where they hand out the rose? Uh, the Bachelor. Oh, The Bachelor. Oh, I don't, my I goodness. I can't even get behind those. Yeah. <laughs> I think I uh, waited years before seeing it. I thought, this has to be a parody. <laughs> <laughs> it feels like that, yeah. Yeah. It's hyper-reality. I love it. <laughs> it's so dumb. But there's something so fascinating about especially the reality ones where you get to know the people week after week and by, you know, the end of it after 12 or 20 episodes, even though you hate it to begin with, you're so invested in the outcome. Yep. You got to know. You got to know how it ends. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm trying to think, um, are you guys big Netflix fans? I feel like the pandemic, we went through all of the Netflix catalog. So, yes. <laughs> So like Tiger King. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Tiger King. So if you could be like on any reality TV show like Big Brother or Amazing Race, uh what show would you guys want to be on? Cuz you guys wouldn't you wouldn't that be amazing? You could do Amazing Race cuz you have to do it with someone and someone you know really well. Like would you guys be good plotters and do you think you you do really good in that dynamic? I think we'd do well. I feel like I would drive you crazy, though. <laughs> I feel like I would complain the entire time. I was going to say, you know, I feel like I, you know, I tour manage. Um, so I, I feel like I could handle the logistics. I don't know, though. You, <laughs> us together on The Amazing Race, I, I don't know if it would go very well. <laughs> I, I would have a plan. She'd be sleeping in until midnight, and I'd be like, dude, we are in last place. Can you wake up so we can try? Like, <laughs> I don't know if it would go very well. Yeah. So yeah, so sorry. you, Kayleen, would be good at mapping it out, GPS, and then Lauren, you'd be good at sightseeing and, and going off on a tangent. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, exactly. Look, we got, they sent us to Paris. I'm not, I don't care. <laughs> yeah, that would, that would be the vibe. It wouldn't go very well. <laughs> well, here's a big question. Would you ever go on a music reality show like an American Idol or America's Got Talent? Or do you just, because a lot of people have really strong feelings about these shows and what they've done to the music industry. I, I don't mind them. I don't think I'd ever compete though. Like I, like I don't, I don't think my skills translate to like a singing competition like that. I, I would be like, I can write you a really moody verse. <laughs> like that's, that's what I bring to the table. But yeah, I don't know uh, that I would do anything like a, like an America's Got Talent. Didn't you did, you tried out for The Voice though, didn't you? Yeah, when I was really young, I tried out for it and I was not at a point where my stage fright could handle it, <laughs> like, mm -hmm. to be honest. I, I don't have any 
you know, harsh feelings one way or the other for him. I think they've, I think they can be superficial. And I think people are a little bit too trusting of them. Like, for example, you know, the voice, the whole concept is that nobody can see you when you sing. And then the judges turn the chairs around and they're like, oh my gosh, that's what you look like. (laughs) But in reality, those people have gone through, you know, like 10 layers of auditions to get to that point where the producers that are putting them in front of those screens know what they look like. They know that they're going to look good on camera still. And their star quality was already vetted. And I think a lot of people don't realize that. (laughs) Yeah. So I, I don't really have, I'm not against them. I, I don't know if I would say I'm for them. You know, I think they've found a lot of great talent over the years, you know, like Kelly Clarkson. I mean, and queen. Yeah. Yeah. So I think they can be good and I think they can be bad. I just, I don't think it's the end all be all of the music industry. I think that's just where I stand on it. I guess my thought is these shows always favor people with big kind of obvious voices that can mm-hmm. nail a high note and be very flashy. Yes. It seems like their weakness is that they kind of don't honor the more subtle singers. You know, if you say you're doing like adult contemporary and a lot of more tender songs, mm-hmm. um, that's not what turns those chairs around, you know, unless you blast yeah. that big note. And yeah. I always thought that um, I've I've seen a lot of those really good sensitive singers who get ignored. Yeah. Yeah, that's a very fair point. Yeah, not every song calls for a powerhouse. I, mm-hmm. I agree. Exactly. Well, the other thing, I, tell me what you think about this, since you guys, you know, you're you're climbing in, in, you know, the celebrity factor yourself. And that's another weird part of the business is just our warped ideas of fame and celebrity. And, you know, the Internet has created this more even playing field, or so we think you know, and it's kind of a necessary evil. You know, we think, well, to get to this next stage, we need to be better known. We need a million Instagram followers or this or that. And just, do you think that, is that something you can reconcile? Like, yeah, it's it's a necessary thing for us to promote ourselves, yet we're so aware of just the toxic nature of celebrity culture nowadays. And that celebrity doesn't always equal talent. Mm-hmm. Does that does that ever gnaw on you that wow wow we're we're in this arena that um, it's not always rewarding um, the talent? Yeah, that it's it's kind of hard. I think what's hardest about walking that line is. I don't want to turn into that local band that is always like, hey guys, we got a huge announcement coming on Friday. Big things are coming up and then nothing ever comes up. Like that mm-hmm. that to me is the one of the cringiest tropes I've seen as far as like being in a local band. Um, so I think it's it's this weird premature stance that like, oh, I'm a big deal. Like I don't like seeing that out of other people. So I don't want to carry that energy. So I would much rather just try to be as open and genuine of a person as I can and just be like, hey, we're playing a show. I'm playing music that I like and I hope you like it, you know? And it, it instead of trying to posture or make it, you know, into this big image idea, um, like that's just not who we are as people. So I think that we we just try to be kind and open and and yeah just not take ourselves too seriously i guess do you think sometimes the slow approach is better like as opposed to getting you know 10,000 new fans overnight that could just as quickly disappear in a couple months to like slowly build that fan base you know, I think the answer is usually that slow is good and slow is sustainable. But I've also seen bands like I Prevail kind of came up out of nowhere with a really good Taylor Swift cover. And now they're playing huge headliners and they kind of just, boop, there they were. And now they're here. So I think 
I don't think there's one path to success. And I think that's something that we're always learning. So mm-hmm. I, as I don't know, as, I just feel like as long as the music is good and you're not a terrible person, <laughs> then it, it mm-hmm. should, it should work out. And that's, that's kind of it, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, I think in uh, that interview I was reading with you, and I can't remember which one of you said this, but I think somebody asked you if you could be in the studio with any, you know, band for maybe a specific album or something, you know, who would that have been? Like what session? And I think one of you uh, mentioned Nirvana and -hmm. it was something to the effect saying, you know, not just what they were making, but that they were creating a new sound. They were part of, you know, this bigger picture. So do you think uh, for you, creating almost like a new subgenre or just you know pushing music to a new level that it hasn't been to before i think it's lofty but i would love to do stuff like that you know yeah i don't know if it's necessarily on the forefront of our minds when we're writing you know because i think that's a hard uh line to hold yourself to like you have to be pushing the boundaries all the time I think that I think that would just be counterproductive at least for me because I'd be like oh my gosh this isn't pushing the boundaries enough I can't write it I can't release it I need to be done with it so yeah yeah so like I think that's um I think that would be great if it was happening I don't know if that's necessarily what we're doing (laughs) or at least not intentionally well, grunge was so location specific, you know, Seattle, yeah. Pacific mm-hmm. Northwest. I mean, are you part of a specific Akron scene? Um, the music around here is actually really heavy. Like we have a it's lot of really metal. prominent metal bands. Yeah. So I don't think we fit into the scene super well, but I will say that I think that bands like Soft Cult are starting to do um, almost like a a resurgence of like a riot girl kind of moment. And I love that. I think it's super important. And I think it's uh, super timely for like the world that we're living in right now. So I love that they're kind of taking it on themselves to start something. And I would love to be part of something like that. So mm-hmm. I, I think that that young bands are starting to realize that they can they can take a stance on stuff, you know, and they can they can use their voice in a way. And I, I think that's a really cool moment that we're um, living in. So I, I, one of those things I'd like to partner in, I guess. Mm-hmm. A quick question. Did I pronounce that right? Is it Akron or Akron? Oh, um, I mean, we have a terrible Midwest accent, so we call it Akron, but I don't know if that's just us <laughs> sounding terrible. <laughs> like, no. Akron. That sounds so sci-fi. Akron. (laughs) Yeah, it's just Akron. (laughs) Akron. Okay. Okay. Final three. Midwest flat. (laughs) I love Midwest. Well, is Ohio considered Midwest? I think we're the we do the the ope. Like, oh, let me ope. Just let me squeeze past you. Like, kind of all the Midwest. Yeah. Okay, but not quite like (laughs) Minnesota Midwest, though. Not quite. Yeah. The, the yeah, sure, you betcha, Midwest. <laughs> okay, three final questions. And the first one's about Akron. This, this is my, my new go-to question. I expect everyone to be like the ambassador of their city now. So someone visits Akron or Akron, and they want to go to like just a really cool dive bar that preferably has a pool table. Like what's what would just sum up Akron in a dive bar. Um, there's a really cool part of town called Highland Square where it's kind of this little hipstery little nook of town. And I would probably tell people to go to Annabelle's if they wanted a dive bar with a pool table and live music experience because it's right on that square and it's kind of kind of the weird, dirty we make rubber tires kind of city feel. <laughs> so that's that's where I would tell people to go if they wanted the true Akron experience. Mm-hmm. There's nothing like a dive bar to keep it real. Right? Everyone, everyone is equal in a dive bar. <laughs> Very equalizing. 
Well, it's nice that they're holding on because I think COVID, I think yeah. dive bars were some of the hardest hit businesses. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, yeah. And a, a lot of places closed up, but also a lot of cool concepts are starting to move in. I think in some of the the gaps, like I, I know that there's a place called Baxter's Speakeasy that just opened up. So I think, you know, pe people are trying to fill the gaps, which is cool. So yeah. Well, bless them. Dive bars, right? <laughs> I need a good well, dive bar in my life. Although there's nothing worse than a brand new bar that tries to be a dive bar right off the bat, kind of ironically. It's got to have an authentic dinginess to it, I think. You know, it's got the it, grime has to be real. I mean, the best are ones that were kind of nice bars in the '60s, but they've kind of fallen into disrepair and. Uh, the owners can't pay the back taxes, so they don't really fix the plumbing and remodel right? very often. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Question two. Oh my goodness, the, we're we're really in the final home stretch here. So I know you guys love songwriting, and you're inspired by you know true crime and lots of other things. So uh, what's inspiring you now, and what's challenging you both as songwriters? I think the biggest thing is kind of just figuring out the next step. You know, we we threw music out there, we threw music videos out there, and um, you know, we're working on the next batch of songs, and it's just trying to figure out how everything combines and how all the pieces fit together. And what's what's like? Um, what are your themes right now? You know, is it? Are you politically motivated? Are you relationship motivated? You know, or human experience? Um, you know, what's what's like some territory that you're you feel drawn to right now? Um, I think I think we're kind of coming up with our our pandemic set of songs. You know, so kind of talking through and feeling through everything that happened on a global scale and for us personally. So I know that I, I went through a lot of, uh, you know, personal growth and hopefully some songs will, will start to reflect some of those places. And um, we've just been really into the idea of, of, of rebalancing and um, finding again, some of the, some of the places where things need healed and, and going into them and, and acknowledging them. Um, yeah. So that's that's always going to be, I think, a core of who we are. So that's yeah, that's right. where our head has been. Okay. Well, final question. And I like this whole idea of music that you know speaks to you on multiple levels, you know, lyrically but also musically. And I think we we're talking a little bit about just what you do in the studio and creating, you know, musical layers. And I'd be really curious, you know, on your next EP or album, you know, what do you want to do sonically? And, you know, what's this kind of dreamscape or musical landscape you'd like to create? Yeah, and I think that's something that we're still kind of exploring and something that, you know, like I said, I think it's kind of unique to each song. So that that soundscape will shift and change depending on the mood and the tone of the song and and conceptually what we're talking about too and and just that whole vibe that we want the listeners to feel that accurately reflects the lyrics and the story. Mm -hmm. Do you ever experiment with instrumentation or do you pull in uh, maybe, you know, an accordion player for one song or, you know, oh, this song, we need a flute player. Do you ever feel that daring of shaking up the instrumentation? We would love to have live strings or a choir or something to that effect on uh, on a song, because I, I, I love that kind of epic sweeping feel. Mm -hmm. um, unfortunately, logistically, that's kind of difficult because you actually have to hire session musicians and that's that's a whole yeah. other animal. Um, mm -hmm. But we love pushing stuff like that into into more orchestral weird places. So uh, yeah, we would definitely definitely trying to figure out how to integrate that. Yeah. So maybe a little Pink Floyd territory. 
Yeah. I love Pink Floyd. I love those like super soundscapey like 18 minute songs. Like yeah. I love it. So um though you think uh we need to see more uh like a comeback of the bagpipe in rock music. <laughs> <laughs> I know ACDC did it pretty well. I don't know if I can compete with that. Been talking with Kayleen and Lauren from the amazing band Gold Thread. Current single is Tiffany Skylight, filmed in Chicago, with, with a few interruptions by shocked people coming out of the elevator. <laughs> uh, EP is Dear Icarus, which I, I believe you can hear all the cuts of that on your Spotify channel. Hey, I loved uh, talking to you, learning more about Akron and the scene there. Thank you so much for having us on here. It's been awesome talking yeah, to you. thank you. Well, you're welcome. And um, what was the name of the dive bar again? Annabelle's. 